0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. John chapter 4 will begin in verse 7. The context is that Jesus is passing through Samaria. He's gone to a well that Jacob had built hundreds of years before, and he was tired from the journey. Verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to learn from this passage in two ways. First, how Jesus reached out to this woman. Let us see his gentleness, his patience, and his strategy in connecting with her, that we can learn from that as to how we would share the good news of the Lord Jesus with those in whom uh, you have placed us uh, in their lives, in our families, friends, circles. But Father, we also pray that you would help us to realize that you reach out to us in this way. Let us ask, do we know this well of living water that springs up to eternal life within us? Do we ever thirst or never thirst? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We overlapped with our passage from last week by beginning in verse 7. Last week we began this. It's really kind of a series within the series. It's the series in John chapter 4 on the woman at the well, living water. It's a part of the larger series, our study of the Gospel of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We overlap because it's in this passage that we begin to see how Jesus reaches out. It would be easy for us to think of this just in terms of lessons in evangelism, that we would learn from Jesus how to reach out to others. And that is indeed a part of this passage. But there's a flip side to this. There's a side to be where we have to ask ourselves, do we have the satisfaction of soul that Jesus is offering to her? What is it that we reach out with? So this passage becomes personally challenging to us And how we miss out on the living waters, the spiritual satisfaction that is ours in Christ. So let's uh, look at these two and uh, we'll just kind of ask where we are in the first place. Where are you spiritually? A couple of weeks ago, we planted some uh, bushes in our backyard and after we planted them, We uh, put a drip line around with the help of Jason Fields and and his crew because I knew that these new bushes would need water. And there were too many bushes. I was tired of planting them. I didn't want to have to get out there with the hose and water them all the time. And so we uh, put water. They perked up real well. And and then in a week's time, it was going below freezing. I had to winterize the system. I had to shut off the water. And then it didn't rain. Did you notice that? It didn't rain. Brand new bushes. And yesterday I noticed that the leaves on many of them were just pointing down to the ground. Is that the way you feel in your spiritual life this morning? Are you down? Are you looking down? Are you discouraged? Are you feeling spiritually dry? This passage is for you. Yesterday, I went back on, and I turned on the irrigation system, and I uh, then winterized it again. And this morning, I, I couldn't help, as I was just preparing for church, those leaves had come back up, and they were perked up. That's a great illustration for us in church. We gather to worship God, to feed upon his word, and we uh, have the means of grace, praying to God, the fellowship of the body of Christ. I remember when I was a, a real young Christian thinking that I would run out through the week. And then I would go to, to, to youth group or to uh, another Bible study fellowship and be filled up again. And then I kind of run out through the rest, rest of the week. Now, do, you, do you recognize that? Do you know that? Now, my goal for these bushes is that they would grow their roots down until the tap root finds uh, the groundwater and then they're established we're nurtured along and our uh, if we're brand new christians young christians we're kind of carried along by the fellowship as people point us to christ and to his word but the goal is that you would grow your roots down into christ himself because guess what the church is not the well of living water If you look to the church or to other Christians and you're dependent upon them in that way, how are you going to survive if God puts you into a time of isolation or loneliness or a kind of conflict or the church doesn't function well? When we're spiritually dry, we often think in terms of, I'm spiritually dry because, and we don't even uh, like, we use the term spiritually dry because we can easily turn that and blame that on others. I'm spiritually dry because I'm not being fed. I'm spiritually dry because of conflicts in uh, these Christian relationships. These Christians are disappointing to me. I'm spiritually dry because God has not answered prayer. It doesn't seem like he's really there. I'm spiritually dry because we love that term. Notice in your bulletin in the second part of the outline, this is a Martin Lloyd-Jones word. I want to acknowledge my debt on Martin Lloyd-Jones who wrote a whole commentary a couple inches thick. On John chapter 4, I whet your appetite for it. Go by it. We're going to spend four times in, the, in this fourth chapter. This is the second. Marty will be preaching next week on conviction and diversion. As Jesus gets close to this woman's sin and says, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus says, that's right. You've had five others. <laughs> now, it could be you've had five other people's husbands. Or that you've been married and divorced five times. I'm going to leave it to Marty to figure that one out and tell you which it is next week. Put the pressure on him. In any case, as Jesus gets close to it, then she raises the big spiritual debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. She goes into uh, diversion. So that will be next week. And then the last week will be uh, this: what really is the living water. We are fully known and fully loved by God. Now, that's only four sermons. It seems like we're opening it up and spending, dwelling on this chapter a bit. Martin Lloyd-Jones has 50-something on this chapter. I want to acknowledge my debt to him so that I don't plagiarize anything. I thought about bringing, I would be studying, I think, boy, I'm going to quote this. I'm just going to come and read this paragraph. i and read the next paragraph. To me. Well, I'm going to read this paragraph, too. I'd read the next one. Well, I'm going to read that one, too. Now, I realize, listen, I'm just going to read his sermon. No, I can't do that. I just have to. Had to lay that aside. And as I've digested. I'm sharing with you. But I want to acknowledge my my debt to him. And how he has fed me. And pointed me to Christ. We as the church. Are not the, the living waters. That satisfy your soul. A good church. Points to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you will become rooted. In him. Then whether it's up. Down sideways, whatever is going on in your life, you'll have that well of living water springing up within you, that kind of satisfaction. How does Jesus reach out to this woman to offer her living water? Last week we noted his sovereignty. This was a a sovereignly orchestrated encounter. Whether or not Jesus in his human nature knew ahead of time Uh, that he was going to meet this Samaritan woman. He could have as God the Son. He said, we have to go through Samaria. Maybe it's because he wanted to meet this woman. Or maybe, in his human nature, he was just following the lead of the Holy Spirit. This is what uh, he would do. And he was sitting at the well, and he was tired, and he was thirsty. And this woman comes out, and he sees the opportunity. See, whatever it is, God is sovereign over it. Wherever he's placed you, the relationships that you are in. God has placed you there, and you have opportunities. Recognize those opportunities when someone comes and reaching out to them to share Christ with them, maybe in your family, maybe in your uh, neighborhood, your friendship circles, your, your, uh, your workplace. How do you reach out, though? Let's learn from Jesus about how to reach out. Martin Luther Jones calls this the, calls this the indirect method. We see Jesus' gentleness in this. What would the direct method be? If Jesus had used the direct method, he knew when he saw this woman coming out, we know from his conversation that probably by his divine omniscience, he did just tap into that, and he knew all about her. I doubt that there was anybody at the well telling him about seeing this woman come in, let me tell you about her, gossiping to her. That wasn't the scene. Jesus just knew her and he knew her sin, the direct method would have been for him to go to her and say, I am here to pay for your sins. I know you're a sinner. Do you admit your sin in the sight of God? Will you receive me as your Savior? He'd just go right to the the content of the gospel. We often, as uh, as Christians, go out and try to share Christ thinking the direct method. How can I uh, get through the content of the gospel? Mark Lloyd Jones points out that Jesus didn't do that first. He made contact with her by her own occupation. Occupation not meaning job, but what she was occupied doing. And he actually used his own position, his own weakness, his own tiredness to make that contact with her. And he said, Will you give me a drink of water? She was drawing water for herself and her family. And she was amazed and impressed by that because he reached out to her. Watch for opportunities to connect with people in their terms. What they're doing, caring about them. You see, you might think if it's just give me a drink of water that Jesus was using her, be my servant. No, actually, he was as a Jew and as a man was crossing all sorts of barriers to reach out to her. And that amazed her at the outset. To whom can you reach out just in love and friendliness that they wouldn't expect it of you? In many ways, that was last week's sermon. But there's a, that's a part of the approach. Connect with them in their terms. A businessman, what is a businessman concerned with? He's concerned with success. Now, he's concerned with success. He may be succeeding. He may be failing. It may be a struggle. But if you connect with that person, with him or with her, caring about what's going on in his or her life, that will, that will make an impression. Instead of you being more concerned, do you buy my religion? It's what's going on in your life. That's the first connection. That's the indirect method. It's what is called relationship evangelism or relational evangelism. You connect and you build the relationship. The problem with relationship evangelism is that we often forget to move beyond that. We think we're doing evangelism just by building the relationship. But Jesus, in making contact with her, knew by raising the subject of water, will you give me a drink? He knew what he was gonna do with this conversation. She said, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You speak to me? he said if you knew who it was that was asking you, you'd ask him you'd ask me for living water. He did move uh, change the subject and in doing that he aroused her interest there's kind of a riddle in this and in arousing her interest he also touched on her deepest desires and longings ask of me and I'll give you living water, the way he expressed himself so you're talking to someone whose main concern is uh, how well their business is going how well their job is going and if if the person is successful you have real opportunity you know if you reach out without envy without coveting and you celebrate somebody else's blessings that you don't have that's not natural that's that's kind of marvelous the bible says that coveting is one of the big 10 sins And if you reach out and care for that person who has more blessing than you do in terms of earthly success, and you just celebrate with them, I think that can stand out. They'll probably be suspicious thinking, are you just trying to snuggle up to me so that I can share some of my earthly goods with you? Look for the opportunity to show that that's not true, that you just care for them. If you envy them, if you kind of resent them, if you you feel uh, inferior because you measure things by material standards, then that's just like the world. There's not gonna be any bright light in that. But if you celebrate with them, that's it's in, in in a way, say, can you give me a drink of water? I care about what's what you're doing, I care what's what's going on in your life. I just want to know you. Then as you build that relationship, care to move the subject. Say, you know where I really find success? It's in knowing that whatever happens to me, whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy, whether I'm young, whether I'm old, I I have found eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you can be slower than that. That's still kind of jumping real abruptly. But you're sharing the gospel in, in their terms. An artist will be concerned about beauty. Now, an artist may, you might think the artist is not concerned about beauty because as a cynical artist, And it's kind of an anti-beauty artistic campaign. Very dark art. But the issue itself is beauty. You can care about them. Be interested in what they do. Find out why. What makes them tick. And then you can begin to share with them. Here's where I find beauty in my life. Begin to share with them the story of how you came to know Christ. The story of the the gospel. How God has reached out to us. The the beauty of the Bible itself. Relate to them in these terms. You can see how how important this is or how uh, dramatic it is if you just swap conversations between Jesus and the woman at the well with Jesus and Nicodemus in the previous chapter. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, so he came out with Jesus telling Jesus what he knew. We know that no one can do the things that you're doing except to be sent from God, so we know you're from God. He's a teacher. Teachers always have to know things. Showing off a little bit to Jesus. Jesus said to him, You must be born again. Say what? Something beyond his ability to learn, to accomplish for himself. You must be born again. And it, it it was the right thing for Nicodemus. If he had said to Nicodemus, Can you give me a drink of water? It's like, sure, here it is. I'm used to as a teacher providing for you and for myself and for everybody else. It wouldn't have fit. If he had said to the woman at the well, you must be born again, can you imagine if Jesus had walked up to her, she'd come up to the well and he's sitting there by the well and he said, you must be born again. How would she have taken it? She would have known what was going on in her life. She would have thought, here's another Jew telling me I've gotten it wrong and I got to change. It would have felt like a criticism. Jesus tailored the first contact in such a way that he met them where they were, showed I'll meet you at the well, I'll talk with you, I'll ask you for, for water. But he had the motivation to lead her to, to living water, to, to uh, deepen the conversation, to spiritualize it. So he roused her interest, uh, he was touching on deep desires, and he offered this living water, which just, even the term, it, it speaks of metaphor. She should have known that. The well of living water is real, continual, true, complete satisfaction of our deepest longings and desires and needs that we will never thirst. Never thirst. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, shall not lack anything. He is my complete supply. Whatever the circumstance, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I ask you, Why is it that we want to share Christ in this way more often? Is it sometimes because we don't feel that complete satisfaction, that deepest need? We haven't grown our tap roots down into the Lord Jesus Christ. We're feeling discontent with the circumstances he's placed in our life. We're feeling spiritually dry, to use use that term, that's so neutral that we can blame it on other people. The reason we don't feel that complete satisfaction in Christ and know it is because of what Martin Lloyd Jones coined that, I love the term, "spiritual dullness." Somehow I can't excuse that. And if, if, if I wake up in the morning, I'm really feeling spiritually dull today, so I don't think I'll go to church. I'm feeling spiritually dull, so I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm I'm feeling spiritually dull. There's the self-accusation in that. What is spiritual dullness? Why uh, Why does it happen to us? Well, in the first place, we can think we have everything at our conversion when we become Christians. Because there's a sense in which that's true. We don't add to the work of Christ for us in order to gain God's favor his grace to us is utter and complete we don't uh we aren't given the gift of our salvation then we have to swim the last hundred yards to shore to show how good Christians we are that's not how we're saved Christ's work is complete and it is a it is a gift and it makes us a baby Christian now, this weekend, Danny and Leah Mobs, and Leah's doing most of the work, are due for their baby. I heard the mothers laugh. They're Having a baby, that's cause for celebration. Y'all, many of y'all have had babies in the last year or two. Here in this church, we've had a lot of babies. And when that baby is born, that baby is complete, 100% a member of your family. When you adopt a child into your family, that child is complete, 100% uh, your child, a member of your family, and yet still a baby. It's time to grow up. If next year a baby doesn't grow physically and mentally, it becomes a cause of concern and a grief. And yet, how many times do we as Christians think all, all we need is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, know we're going to heaven, and then we can just live for ourselves and kind of wait it out till we get there? We don't grow up in our faith. After a year or two, it becomes cause for concern. We need to grow those roots down into this well of living water so that we can experience in the various circumstances of our lives this living water that is complete and utter satisfaction, that... Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. Why do we uh, not grow up automatically? God has chosen uh, to allow us the process of growth. It's called our sanctification. We bring into our uh, relationship with Christ all of our old habits and prejudices, And one of those habits is looking to this world and measuring everything in terms of what we can see and taste and touch. The things that are invisible don't seem quite as real. Heaven doesn't seem quite as real as the here and now success. God meets us there. That kind of falls under the general category of what I call, it's new Christians that get all the good parking spaces. You know, when you're a new Christian, you pray for something that's very small, and God does this, like, wow, I was going to the store, and I was in a hurry, and I prayed, Lord, give me a parking place, and it was right there. It was the closest one to the door. Wow, guess what? Fairly quickly, God doesn't give you that parking place, or whatever the small prayer is, because he wants you to deepen in your faith to where you're satisfied in him when he doesn't give you that earthly blessing. We materialize everything. That's the main habit that we bring in our culture into the Christian life. When we, read, when we read a promise in the Bible, ask and you will receive, we think, okay, God, I'm asking for, I'm asking that I get this job. Now, that's a valid prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Under that cover, we can pray for this job. But we think ask and you'll receive when we think, well, that means I have to get the job if God's going to prove his word is true. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, what am I asking for? Am I asking, Lord, please provide for my daily bread. I pray for this job. But I know you know best. You know everything, and you know best. Help me to trust in you, whether or not I do. I pray that your will, not mine, be done. Do we learn to pray that way? Maybe it's a health issue. Lord, I I pray that I'll be Uh, be healed of this disease. We're we're praying for the Seversons, Granddaughter Purity. It's a big one in in our church. And as they have had marvelous answers to prayer and continued struggles in prayer, I love their their expressions of faith in the prayer requests. If you're on the prayer chain, about how they are are trusting in the Lord, whatever happens, they know he knows best. But we tend to measure everything in the uh, material. So this woman said... When Jesus said, will you give me a drink? She said, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? She's astonished. And Jesus said, if you asked of me, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water right there. She should have had some clue. What do you mean living water? That would have been a better question. Instead, she said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? She was showing as a Samaritan woman she knew her Bible. She knew her background. But she was insisting on interpreting what Jesus was speaking to her spiritually in shallow material terms. He said, oh, we don't do that. Everybody does that. Nicodemus did that. You must be born again. Nicodemus said, what? Shall we go back into our mother's womb? And be born again? Is that what you mean? Later, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and they, they came uh, to find Jesus again, he said, you, search, you seek me for the bread that satisfies the stomach. I call on you to seek the bread that endures to eternal life. Jesus' own disciples did that in this passage. It's kind of a supplementary, secondary part of the, of the message. Uh, we'll just read it and make one point out of it. In chapter 4, verse 31, when his disciples came back from town, they said, it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They kept thinking just what you can taste and see and and touch. We do it all the time. And because of that, we miss out on the deeper spiritual satisfaction that we have in Christ. Jesus, it's interesting in this passage, I don't think he ever got that drink of water. He was tired and thirsty. He said, well, you give me a drink of water. He moved the subject to spiritual things. She got all tied up and she went all, all off into uh, you. you well, what about my husband's Well, let's talk about worship. And, and then she finds out, Jesus points to himself, I who speak to you and he. She gets excited, runs back to town. He's sitting there by the well. He never got that drink. But Jesus is excited. He is full himself. His soul is full in his human nature. He has food to eat that they don't know anything about. And uh, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even these Samaritans are coming to me. That's what he's excited about. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And the disciples are saying, say, what? What are you talking about? But Jesus is showing the satisfaction of soul. He's excited about the conversation you just had with the Samaritan woman. Later they will understand. When he sends them out of the Great Commission after he has died. Risen again. Ascended into heaven. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They go out to share Christ. And they are reaping a harvest that they did not work for. It's God that does the hard work. They're reaping the harvest of what God is doing in the world. And they're discovering the joy that Jesus had in this conversation. You see... If we're talking about satisfaction of soul, if you think of it in terms of satisfaction of every earthly material need, you're going to miss the boat. And you'll always be thirsty. You'll always be hungry. You'll always be dry. And if you're satisfied for a while, it'll go away and you'll get old. And then we all face death. What do you live for? We want to encourage you to develop that taproot down into Christ himself. We'll never miss out. Um, How do we... How do we grow up in this? Martin Lloyd-Jones points out you know, three more things that are you know, very practical. One, uh, the next thing he says is we're lazy. We're lazy. God has given us means of grace. That just means he's given us the means to grow up in our faith, to grow that root down into Christ. The study of his word, uh, the, uh, the prayer, uh, uh, the privilege of prayer, the fellowship of the body uh, uh, of saints, those are all Uh, The seeing of his praise, these are all means of grace, gathering together to worship him. We get lazy because we think, you know, I'm dry, so I'll just be worldly. You realize how that doesn't make sense? It's, I'm spiritually dull, I need to turn the spiritual irrigation system back on because my leaves are drooping. I need to get to work. I need to study the world. I need the help of other Christians in there. I need to gather. That should be motivation to be more earnest in your walk with Christ. But we're lazy. We are. Also, very, these are just very quick. We overemphasize experience. Now, being a Christian is an experience. Just like marriage is an experience. You don't, you're not married just by studying the concept of marriage in a book. It's an experience. Is it a constant high? Yeah, I'm waiting for the laughter. Pre-counseling afterwards. That was, my wife is probably laughing out there too. No, it's actually whatever the heights and the depths and everything, there's a foundational relationship that we work it through together. The same with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet how many of us, instead of thinking of Christ as our foundation that holds us up, the well of the living water that feeds and nourishes us when we are most stressed, when we are in, this, in great distress. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, we think of our Christian life as I'm full of the Spirit when I'm spiritually high. You know, when you're low, you're closer to the foundation. You ever think about that? Highs—they're as transient. Every every sports fan knows that highs are transient. Right? Alabama. I didn't know if I should do that. Right, yeah, he says, Come on, bring it. <laughs> Tennessee won last night. that is how we 've been low all season. Guess what that 's not going to count in a week or two. Highs dissipate if you 're thinking of your faith as an emotional high you 're not going to be able to maintain it. But if you think of Christ as your foundation holds you up, or the the metaphor in this passage as a well of, of living water to feed and nourish you under the stresses you 'll become like that tree in psalm one planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither. It bears fruit in every season. Finally, this one I would love to leave out, and you'll love me to leave it out for the sake of time, but it's pointed at me. We failed to preach beyond the gospel. We ask, is the gospel evident in every sermon that people understand what the gospel is, how they can come to receive Christ? But, some, sometimes we can think that it's only becoming a Christian that counts. Let's produce babies, but not raise them up. We don't. We try not to do that in this church. You see, in the inside cover of your bulletin, we do want to know Christ personally, but we want to mature spiritually and show God's love faithfully. Building community, build community, and show God's love faithfully. We want to grow up as Christians. It's not just producing babies and neglecting them. Uh, Billy Graham, I think, was the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, and God used him to bring more people to Christ. But Billy Graham would say, "Come to Christ and go and get involved in the local church where you can grow up in your faith." How many churches then ended up copying Billy Graham, and every Sunday morning was like a Billy Graham crusade experience? Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. That it never got to teaching and growing people up in their faith. This one's on on me, so I pray that I would be able to preach to you the whole counsel of God and on anyone who fills this pulpit. So I ask you in closing, where are you? Are you missing out? Do you understand anything about why you're missing out if you're feeling that spiritual dullness? Or do you know that satisfaction of soul? It's not a feeling. Satisfaction of soul is a foundation, and it's complete, and it's utter, and it's... it's, uh, Continual. It's true. And it satisfies your deepest longings. And it wells up not to just nice things in this world, it wells up to eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would not just help us understand, help us experience in a way that's not seeking a spiritual high, but that is a finding our taproot grounded in Christ. For he satisfies our soul. And then let us want to share that with others where we have found him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.